Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Um, before we jump into the, uh, the meat and potatoes of the lesson, if you have a Bible this morning, um, if you could pull that, uh, pull that uh, to your lap and open it up to Psalms, the 37th chapter, and we'll be reading from verses, uh, Psalm, the 37th chapter, from verse 3 uh, down to verse number 11. Again, Psalms, the 37th chapter, starting at verse number 3 uh, through 11. And it reads, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth forth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while and do excuse me, and for yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall dwell, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. The, the lesson I want to start off with um, is, is an outcropping, if you will, from uh, the lesson that we had last Lord's Day. Uh, last Lord's Day we were talking about the imperfection of the system, um, how, you know, at least in the physical, in the physical sense or um, the laws of the physical world, you know, what we put in, um, we have to continue to put in. Um, you know, we, we eat to be full, but yet we're hungry again. Um, there is no uh, perseverance. There is no stability. There is no um, uh, constant, if you will, in this imperfect world that we live in. We're always in need again and again and again and again and again. You know, it's, we, we desire the evening time to sleep. Um, but while we're sleeping, we desire the morning time to wake up. And even with the, the movement of the, of the earth around the sun, it's constantly a cycle of light and darkness, light and darkness. Um, as we uh, alluded to, or as we read, rather, in the book of Revelations in the 21st chapter, that is not what the spiritual realm is about. There is perseverance, there is constant, there is persistence in the spiritual world. For that matter, um, those who find themselves um, having been judged as workers of iniquity, um, they will be in a perpetual darkness, ever striving you know, to, for the morning that we all get to experience, that we all experience uh, today, um, they will be in perpetual darkness. There is Consistency, consistency, constant perseverance in the damnation that awaits those workers of iniquity. They will have no light. It will be perpetual darkness. It's perfect darkness. It's not imperfect. It's absolute. Whereas those who are judged to be workers of righteousness, it says in the book of Revelations that they will inhabit a land of eternal day. There will be no darkness. There will be light all the time. Absolute, perfect light. Eternally. There is absolute, there is perseverance, there is consistency. So we see, um, looking at our lesson last Lord's Day, um, and we'll get into the second half of that lesson, but the first half really is based off of the fact that the physical and the spiritual the laws that govern those two worlds are different. 
They don't play in the same sandbox, right? Uh, the physical world doesn't play in the spiritual sandbox, the spiritual sand. People in the spiritual world don't play in the physical sandbox. However, they are interrelated. Again, they don't play in the same sandbox, but they share the same border. And it's that border that you and I live in. It's that border of knowing that we are physical creatures, but also knowing that we are spiritual beings. It's this world on the border of two, two different uh, laws of living, or laws of existence, that we find ourselves. If you look at the latter half of the lesson we talked about, Philippians, the fourth chapter, verses 6 through 7, um, where Paul told the church at Philippi, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And in doing so, the peace of God that passeth all understanding will be provided to us. Um, you look at the continuing verses in Philippians, the fourth chapter, it also tells us to think on those, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, whatever things have virtue and praise and honor, um, think on those things. If they have any virtue, any substance of virtue, praise, and honor, think on those things. And again, the peace that passeth all understanding will keep our hearts and our minds. You know, the um, this physical world and the spiritual world that we find ourselves on the border of, right, um, is challenging. We know that it's challenging um, because last Thursday we also looked at the account in, I believe it's Matthew, the um, Matthew the twenty seventh or thirty seventh chapter. If you have notes from last Thursday, you can um, you can reference that where we we read of the account of uh, Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right, he was betwixt two worlds, you know, the, the physical and the spiritual. And as he found himself in this, this border, he went to God in prayer. And what did he pray? He said, my God, if, if, if thou wilt allow this cup to pass from me. Right? And, and in other accounts of this prayer, um, it says that he was praying. Um, he was crying as if blood were, were flowing down from his face. I mean, he was... In the midst of it. Again, Christ was at this border. But he prayed to God. And he found the peace, he found the confidence, he found the strength to persist in spite of the imperfection of this physical world that we find ourselves in. Now, uh, to talk about the interrelationship between the physical and the spiritual, and this is a lesson in and of itself. Um, maybe I'll give it next Lord's Day. But they're interrelated in the fact that the spiritual world, or before I get into that, they're interrelated, and that interrelationship can be seen in two words, effect and effect. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not a, an English scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I know how to read the dictionary. Um, so if I get this wrong, and you are an English connoisseur, please... Um, after the lesson, uh, correct me, but uh, to affect and to effect is to affect a change or effect an influence. One is um, a, a consequence of, so for example, if one affects another, that means that I have the power and the ability to change the thing that I am affecting, or maybe effect. Again, if you, if you have a dictionary and I get that wrong, please correct me. But the two words um, are starkly different. They're related but different. One is to change, the other is to influence, but not necessarily change. So if you look at the physical world, the physical world has an effect on our spiritual world, or rather our physical life as an influence on our spiritual life. How do I know this? And again, I'm not going to uh, digress too far because it's a lesson in and of itself. 
Um, we know that the scripture tells us, both in um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, also in the book of Revelation, and in and, and certain points in between, right, that we are judged, or rather our eternal resting place is predicated on the things that we do in this life, the physical life, whether they be good or bad. In essence, our physical life has an effect or an influence on our spiritual life and where we um, will be for eternity. Now, the spiritual life that we have has a different, uh, has a different, let's say, um, cause and effect on our physical life. So our spiritual life not only influences our physical life, but can change our physical life. How do I know this? Well, the scripture says that when we are baptized, what do we do? We go down in that watery grave of baptism, we come up a new creature. That is a change, meaning our spiritual life or a spiritual thing has consequently changed us physically. And maybe not our physical bodies, but certainly the way that we think. Right. Um, we just got the reading in Psalms, the 37th chapter, right? That if we delight ourselves in the Lord, it will have a direct impact. It will change our status in a physical sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and you can go through and you can read that entire verse, Psalms, the 37th chapter, verses 3 through 11 where it talks about how if we allow the physical, excuse me, the spiritual precepts that are contained in the Bible, if we focus on looking to God as our leader, it will have a change in our physical life. Right. Yeah. And you are all a testimony of that, aren't, mm -hmm. are you not? Right. You are different, not physically, but different in the ways that it truly matters. You walk different, you talk different, you speak differently. There are things in your life that you no longer do. Um, just because uh, I, I have to, and I, and I didn't really want to go too far into the weeds on this, um, because I do want to be um, respectful of time. And I, and I did kind of say it was going to be short. Um, quote, unquote, or relatively short. Mm -hmm. How about that? Um, let's, um, boy, there's so much to talk about with that. Let's, let's go to First Peter. <clears throat> um, okay, I, I, I really do have to temper my, my enthusiasm to, to jump into this, but um, let's look at First Peter chapter 2. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2, um, you know, it starts with saying, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, you know, as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word of God, that ye may grow thereby. And if so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Um, what other verse I, could I touch on? Let, let's look at verse number 9 um, and 10. Uh, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had, a, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know, there's. Uh, let's let's go and look at First Peter chapter four. And again, I'm just touching on some verses, just out of my need to 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 really get this off my brain more so than anything. First um, Peter the fourth chapter and verse number one. For as much then as Christ had suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he had suffered in the flesh, had ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of your life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we, 
walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you don't do that anymore. <laughs> or rather, wherein they think it strange that ye not run with them to the same access of right, speaking evil of you. Who shall give, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? You know, we are all a testimony of how the spiritual can change the physical. We no longer act, we no longer think. Our agency, if you will, has changed. Our focus has changed from things on the flesh to things of the Spirit and thus the will of God. Mm -hmm. So I want to just touch on a few other things before I really get into the meat and the potatoes of the lesson, is to talk about um, this fact. Not just the fact that the spiritual um, influences and changes the physical, um, but just to highlight the fact that the Word of God pertains to all things, or <laughs> the Word of God instructs us in life and godliness. Right. Right? The, the Word of God is focused primarily on things that are spiritual. It is not a study of the physical, meaning it's not a, a, bio, it's not a, a book that um, talks about biology. Um, it's not a book that focuses on the psychology, right? The science of how we think or the science of how we live, or rather, ology stands for the study of, right? The Bible is a study of the spiritual, not a study of the physical. Amen. Yet, yet or but, let's use that, right? But it gives us some insight on what goes on in our brains. It uses words such as heart. It uses words such as mind. It uses words such as temptation. It uses words such as happy. And if you don't believe me, read the entire book of the book of Ecclesiastes. And you will see there that Solomon the wise, also Solomon the preacher. We talked about this last Lord's Day, right? He sought acceptable words. He put them in, you know, multitudes of books. And these multitudes of books were studies of psychology and, and what drives us to do what it is that we do. And what did he say? He said after you know all of that study, really, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And if, that's, if that doesn't do it for you, go back and look at the, uh, the book of Romans. Um, and I'll, and again, I, I haven't even gotten to the lesson. This is just introduction, but I, I feel like I, I, need to, I need to say this. Um, in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter. There's a verse there in verse number 24 of Romans, the sixth chapter, where Paul says, O wretched man that I am! Exclamation. And Paul in uh, the, uh, sorry, Romans, the seventh chapter, my apologies. Romans, the seventh chapter, in verse number uh, 24. Again, he says, O wretched man that I am! Exclamation. And Paul in this chapter is highlighting to us where we, as human beings, find ourselves. Again, we find ourselves at the border of the physical and the spiritual. That's where we live, right? And he says, O wretched man that I am. And why does he say, O wretched man that I am? It's because we live on the border. In one side of ourselves, we are seeking to... Um, live as if 
we are that our existence is entirely governed by those laws of physics that govern <coughs> all of us. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And the other part is saying, but no, no, that's that's not the end all be all of things. As a matter of fact, the most important of things, not excluding the physical, but saying the emphasis should really be on these spiritual laws that we ought to be guiding our lives by. And he says, again, the interplay, right? Uh, you know, while I'm at this border, I want to do the spiritual things, but the body says, no, the body wants to go this direction. And it's almost like a pulling apart of oneself. You know, the things that I do, I know I shouldn't do, mm -hmm. but I do them nonetheless. The things that I don't do, I should be doing, mm -hmm. but I still don't do them. Mm -hmm. Oh, wretched man that I am. Mm -hmm. And that's the struggle that we find ourselves living on this, this border, um, you know, having the knowledge of two different worlds. Now, I'm going to get into a little bi uh, biology and a little bit of psychology. Again, not an expert in either of those fields. Just, I know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> um, but biology for a second. Mm -hmm. Your body, even the things that you look, even the look, listen, and feel of your existence is largely predicated on molecules, I mean, if we were to get really down to the nitty-gritty, there are atomic forces in your body, mm -hmm. right? And you go up a level. There are certainly levels below that, but you go up a level and you, you get into above the anatomic level then, or uh, atomic level, my apologies. Then you get into the molecular level, right? Where your brain is just a, a, uh, a collection of chemicals and hormones and the like that are constantly going from one side to the other, right? There's either too much or too little, too much or too little, too much or too little. And so your biological system is, is basically predicated on balancing out those moments where you have too much or too little. They call that homeostasis, mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, I'm hungry, right? Because the chemicals in my brain are out of balance. And so my body seeks food in order to bring that imbalance back into balance, right? I'm full, right? So my body tilts, I've eaten too much, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so my body's tilted in the other, the chemicals have tilted in the other, other direction. So my brain says, no, we need balance, so stop eating. There's What's the word I'm looking for? There is beauty in that system. I, I, I'm try, I was trying to think of another word, but uh, um, let's use the word beauty. There is beauty in that system. God, in his infinite wisdom, developed a awesome system. There's not a man, there's not a computer, there's not any power in the cosmos that can develop a system that God has developed. But it's imperfect. If it were perfect, then why would we die? Think about that for a second. If it were perfect, why would we die? If it were perfect, why would Jesus Christ even come to this earth to die on the cross in the first place if this system were perfect? Now, you, 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 okay, I'm getting a lot of blank faces here. So let's go back to the book of Genesis. Man was created from the earth. Right? Um, well, even before that, right? So... God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he looked and he said, this looks good. Mm -hmm. He didn't say it was perfect. He said, this looks really good. Okay, all right, maybe, okay, maybe, I, I don't want to, you know, use, misuse God's word. 
Um, but take a look at it. He said in verse number 31 of Genesis, the first chapter. He didn't say it was perfect, but what did he say? He said, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He didn't say it was perfect. He said, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. He said it was very good. He said on the seventh day that he, he looked and he rested and he sanctified this day um, as the day of the, the Sabbath. He made a very good system, but it is not perfect. And we see this imperfection later on in the Garden of Eden, where Satan took advantage of this slight imperfection in the thing that God made that was very good, and sin was introduced into the world. Amen. We further see that God excluded Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, Perchance they would eat of the tree of life and live forever. Can you imagine an imperfect system living for forever? God didn't want that to be, which is the reason why he put a cherubim around that tree and excluded and kicked out, booted, evicted, however you want to put it, Adam and Eve from this garden. Guess what? He also said that Adam and Eve would be cursed with this imperfection. Adam or Eve, for example, would be cursed with the imperfection of continually having to give birth and the pain and the anguish that results from that. Adam also would be cursed with this imperfection that in order to feed himself, guess what he had to do? He had to work in order to provide for that substance. You see, life and death was and is the curse of the imperfection of this world that we all live in. In the spiritual world, there is no life and death. Amen. But there is. Here's, here's where I go back to what I said about the introduction about hell being absolute darkness and heaven being absolute light. There is life and death in the spiritual world, but they do not connect in any way, shape, or form. They are separate. They are perfectly separate. In this world, we go through a cycle of life and death. You know, we live and die, um, but you know, we continue the cycle by having children, right? Generation after generation. But in the spiritual realm, there is life period, and death, period. They don't commingle. If you are in eternal life, you will never die. And if you are in the eternal death, you will never live. And we know this by looking at the parable of the rich man, uh, Lazarus and the rich man, right? Where, um, what does it say? Um, the, uh, the rich man made a request. He said, Father Abraham, can you tell Lazarus to put, you know, dip his hand in the water and, and quench this eternal thirst? This thirst that I just can't get rid of. But what, what does the scripture say? There was a great gulf between the two of them. They are completely separate. They don't have any interrelationship in the spiritual world, but they do have an interrelationship in the physical world, which is the reason why we have this scripture, the New Testament scripture, right? Where if we hear it, we believe it, we repent, confess, and we're baptized and live faithfully until death, we can break out of this imperfect system and be a part of the perfect system of eternal life that awaits all of us once we die. Amen. So, Again, I go back to the biology and the psychology, right? The biology is, right, you're, you're always seeking homeostasis, right? And the psychology is, is that 
when you were a child, well, some psychologists, you know, they, they break down consciousness into three parts. The id, the ego, and the superego. So the, the id, if you will, is, you know, the instinctual drive that we have as human beings. It's the animalistic part of you and I, right? Animals don't care. My dog doesn't care. If it smells good, licks, you know, tastes somewhat reasonable, it eats it. And I'll get to that in a second because First Peter talks, or excuse me, Second Peter talks about a dog turning back to its own vomit. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is the id, the animalistic part of ourselves. The and I'm not saying this is all that you know these three parts have any spiritual basis. I'm just purely talking about the psychology and what people think they understand about our consciousness. They think they know, but they don't really know. Right. Right. Um, but I, okay, I'm not going to go down that path. Ego. Ego is what counterbalances, if you will, this animalistic drive that we have. It, it brings, um, or rather what it says is, is I can't continually eat, 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 because I'm going to eat myself to death. The reality of the situation is, is that there will be a time of want. So I'm going to eat a little bit today, save some for tomorrow. That's what the ego does. It, it, it meters this animalistic drive. And the superego is kind of like this overarching um, thought process of morality. Um, and again, this is what psychologists think. This has really no spiritual basis. Um, at least none that I can find. Um, uh, but in any case, that's the, the, the biology and the psychology. So, Let's get to the lesson. The lesson is really short because I've already taken up a lot of your time. The lesson is the peace that can be found in pleasure. Okay. So I just got through talking about the biology and the psychology, right? That, you know, your, your, your body, regardless of what you think, regardless if you have a brain or not, let me rephrase that. If you are a mushroom, meaning you've sustained some brain trauma, and they have you, um, is it mushroom? Vegetable? Okay. Maybe that, that wasn't very kind. My, my lovely wife said, Thomas, wrong use of the word. I apologize. <laughs> if you are brain dead, without any conscious brain function, let's, let's, let's speak to that. Your body still will want to balance itself out. So homeostasis or the desire for homeostasis has no really conscious bearing at all. I mean, it affects it, but really your body always wants to, to find some sort of balance, right? And then psychology, right? You have different parts of yourself that have different interests, but all of those interests are predicated on what makes your body feel good. What brings about homeostasis? Meaning, you do not want struggle. Your primary animalistic human drive is to be comfortable and to avoid discomfort. You do not want pain. Every single time, and, and let's, let's, let's get into the scripture because that's what we're here to do. We're not here to talk about the physical in its entirety because that's not the end all be all. Um, but let's let's look at Romans the eighth chapter. It says in Romans the eighth chapter, um, starting at verse number twenty-two, it says, "For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now." You know what that means? It means exactly what I just said. Every single creature on the planet Earth is constantly, constantly suffering through these cycles of imbalance and trying to find homeostasis. Mm -hmm. We're either too full or not full. We are either uh, too cold or too hot. Yeah. We always are trying to find this comfort and for and 
even in that struggle, uh, Romans 8, chapter and verse number 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but even us, those of us who live on the border of the laws of the physical and the laws of the spiritual, even us, we struggle mm -hmm. with this. Mm -hmm. It says, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, mm -hmm. waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. You know what that, you know, every time I read that, you know what it tells me? Mm -hmm. It tells me exactly how I felt last Lord's Day. Mm -hmm. You remember I told you I wasn't into yes. it? Right. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to be into it. But my body wouldn't allow me to be into it. Today, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Right? Uh, yet, last Lord's Day, my body and my mind were out of phase. Mm -hmm. This Lord's Day, my, my body and my mind are in phase. Guess what? Tomorrow is a coin flip. I don't know where my body's going to be. You don't either. You go, you go to bed feeling good. You wake up in the morning. Oh my goodness, what happened to me? I just slept. I wasn't doing anything. But now I feel worse than I did when I went to sleep. You don't know. So what Paul is saying here is that we, even those of us who have the spirit within us, we groan and desire for the moment where we'll be redeemed from this body. Mm -hmm. Where we can step out of this, nah, well, I don't want to say nasty, but this, this body that weights us down, that is constantly fighting against our spirits. And that's what Paul is trying to say. He's saying... We are, we groan and we are waiting for the adoption of the spiritual life to wit, the redemption of our body. This is what it goes on to say in verse number 24. We are saved by hope. The, the hope is the thing that keeps me from ending it all. Okay, I'm going to say that again. This hope of Adoption into eternal life is the thing that keeps me from ending it all. Yes. This hope is the thing that keeps me from giving up. It's this hope that keeps me continually putting one foot in front of the other. It literally saves me, and I'm sure it saves you on a daily basis. And if it doesn't, it should. It says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why do he, why do he yet hope for? Rhetorical mm -hmm. question. But if we hope for that we have seen, excuse me. But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Mm -hmm. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for mm -hmm. as we ought. But the Spirit itself make an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Mm -hmm. Goes back to what we talked about last Lord's Day, and hopefully it makes sense, a more better sense. Now, right, that the groanings and the struggles that we have in this life, while we're on the border of two laws of competing interests, while we want to go to heaven, just like Paul said, just like Peter said, if I had an opportunity to go now, mm -hmm. listen, I love all of you. Mm -hmm. I, I really have some uh, sincere interest in, you know, retiring with my wife, seeing my kids have kids. If Jesus gave me the offer to go, like, right now, I'm sorry. I'll see you. I'll see you on the other side. There wouldn't be even one inkling of a pause. Yes. He wouldn't even be able to finish his sentence. I'd say yes. Right? Because I'm acutely aware of my, uh, of my struggle. Just as you should all be acutely aware of your struggles. Mm -hmm. If you remember last Lord's Day, I was telling Sister Allison to taste 
the bitterness yes. of disappointment. Taste it. Yes. Know it. Yes. Feel it. Yes. Be intimately aware of everything that's going on in your life. Every single emotion. Get to know it better. And as you get to know it better, you will find out exactly the reason why Paul said, O wretched man that I am. And once you get to the point where you are intimately aware of every single emotion in your body, once you can say emphatically, O wretched man that I am, then you will come to understand why this hope is so real. To those of us who are Christians. The reason why, you know, as, as Paul just wrote there, the reason why we are so desirous to get out of this, to get to something that's more perfect. The reason why, if Jesus gave me the offer and you the offer, the reason why, without a moment's hesitation, you would say yes. If you're not there yet, then you don't know yourself as well as you ought to. If you're not able to say yes, then you don't know how wretched you are. And if you're not able to say yes, then you don't know how much you need the hope of eternal salvation on a daily basis. Amen. So, let's talk about pleasure and peace. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to um, 2 Peter, the... Uh, Oh, there's so much I could I could talk about here. Um, let, let's look at Second Peter, the second chapter. How about that? Um, in Second Peter, the second chapter, um, <clears throat> Paul is talking about false teachers, mm -hmm. and um, before I before I get to that, uh, here, here's what I want to say about I don't want to. I'm giving a lesson from the book of God, so I I have to stop using the word I. Go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes, and the word of God speaks to all of us. When Solomon says that he was extremely, it's the, it's in the second chapter. Ecclesiastes, the second chapter. He talks about how with all of the abundance that he had, right. he held nothing yes. back from his heart. Mm -hmm. Whatever he, whatever, and he's talking about his physical heart, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, he's talking about his physical body. He yes. said, whatever food, whatever it was, mm -hmm. whatever his body desired, he had the means and the ability to give that body what it wanted. Right. If if you look back at uh, what we just read, um, go back and, and take a look at First uh, Timothy. Um, where's the Where's the verse? So, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. My apologies. I've had it marked and I'm flipping around like I didn't. Um, 2 Timothy, the, uh, uh, the third chapter in verse number one, it says, uh, uh, th This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, uh, for men shall be lovers of them of their own. It's interesting how he puts how the the Word of God uses uh, there instead of their, well, of them own selves. But he says there. He, you know, there means you possess it, right? right? So the love is your possessional. It's in your possession. So for men shall be lovers of their own selves, right? So they possess their bodies. And so they are lovers of the thing that they possess. And so that that's what Solomon was doing, right? He possessed his body. And so at this time, while he has the abundance of, of many things, he, he was a lover of the thing that he possessed. 
covetous, as the, the Second Timothy three verse two says, that that we lovers of, no, of our own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, thankful, unholy. The list goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. Go back to uh, first uh, first Timothy the sixth chapter, um, and you'll see here as uh, Paul is telling Timothy to warn these false teachers and those that are rich. Guess what he says mm -hmm. in the 10th verse? Mm -hmm. He says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the face and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he tells, he warns the rich not to fall into a temptation and a snare. Mm -hmm. And in, a full, and in many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in, in destruction and perdition. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Solomon was that guy. He had everything. Pleasure. He was well acquainted with his own pleasures. Mm -hmm. So much so that he continually got into this imperfect reciprocal system of what? I'm in want. Mm -hmm. That want results in a pleasure to be balanced or homeostasis. Mm -hmm. Right? So he wants pleasure because he's imbalanced. So what does he do? Mm -hmm. Because he is a lover of himself or the thing that he possesses, right? He 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 said he didn't hold anything back from his heart. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, all is vanity. Mm -hmm. Vanity of vanity. The vanity of all things that are vain is to be a lover of the thing, of the physical body that you possess. Mm -hmm. To constantly be giving into pleasure, which is an outcrop of an earning of a, of a desire or a want for something. Look it up. Mm -hmm. Pleasure is right there. A, a desire or want for, for something that brings you know, good feelings and good tidings to the body. Right. I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. But that's what it is. It's a pleasure is an outcropping of this biological system that we all are subject to just being human beings in the flesh. Mm -hmm. When you are hungry or you have pleasure and you fulfill that pleasure, what happens? The pleasure goes away. The pain and anguish of, of want goes away. <sighs> You're at homeostasis. You feel good. You have peace. But you remember what I said, that the physical world is imperfect, meaning there, there is no consistency. There is no absolute, because guess what? That pleasure and that peace goes away, and you fall back into pleasure and pain. Yes. I'm painful, I, I'm feeling pain because I have one, and I don't want that. I want the pleasure of the peace. Now, if you are addicted to drugs and alcohol, it's all out of whack. And if you're on the prayer line, you can't see me wave my arms in a big, wide loop. Because if you are addicted to drugs and alcohol, it is all out of whack. Chemically, everything is askew. Um, if you are addicted to drugs and alcohol, you can never... There is a fraction of a second where you're in homeostasis mm -hmm. before you fall into the other category, mm -hmm. right? People who take uppers, right? Yes. They're, ah! And, until the body says, no, now we're too much up. We need to get down. So they take a downer. And then, you know, it, it flips automatically in the other direction where they're like, oh, I'm so down. I need to take an upper. And then, right? Their, their teeter-totter is constantly going up and down. It never truly settles in the middle. Mm -hmm. That is the danger of addiction to drugs and alcohol. That's the biology of that. Let's talk about sin. Now, what is sin? You know that sin is a transgression of the will of God. But where does it come from? I mean, uh, where, how do, where does, right? Uh, 
How does it happen? Um, it happens, as it says in the scripture, sin is a result of your desire for pleasure. Okay. Okay. Um, Brother Marzette, find that verse for me. While I, I move on to the next one. Uh, I believe it's in First Peter, but uh, I could be wrong. Temptation. Um, I thought I had it marked, but I did not mark it. See, that's the imperfection of this lesson, right? That I didn't mark all the verses that I wanted to touch on. Um, uh, uh, what's the verse I'm going to look at? Boy, I wish I had marked this. Ah, James, the first chapter. Sorry. Not uh, first Peter. James, the first chapter. Can you go over and read that, James 1, verse 13? So, let's get back to sin for a second. Sin is a result, or is the byproduct of you giving in to the, the pleasures and the desires of your flesh. I was at a band review yesterday and there was a kid just yelling bloody murder. Mom, no! I don't want to get down. Put me down. I want to blah, 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 blah. And Heather looked at me and she said, you know what? If I was that mom, I'd be wearing that kid. <laughs> I, I, I don't... You, and I thought, well, I don't recall our kids ever doing something like that. Um, and I'm not saying this, this, this kid was bad. I'm not saying the mother and the father of this kid are bad parents. I, I'm not passing any judgment on their parental skills. But what came to, came to mind is when we were children, we were goldfish. A goldfish eats and eats and eats and eats and eats and eats and eats. If you give it what it wants... It will continue to eat and eat and eat until it kills itself. Mm -hmm. Goldfish are amazing creatures because they will inevitably, if food is plenteous, they will grow to the perfect proportion of the space that they are in. If, if, well, again, if food is readily available, right? The only thing that counterbalances their desire to eat is death, really. That's that kid. I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. I want ice cream, I want sweets. I don't want to eat anything healthy. I don't want to eat my greens. I don't want to go to sleep. That's We were all goldfish as children. But as we grew up, we got parental guidance and structure. What did we do? Uh, the ego, I'll use that word, counterbalanced this animalistic desire um, uh, to do what the body wants to do all the time. Now, that's where most people are. Get an ego, right? Struggling and balancing out one another. But if you go and you read James, the first chapter, verse number 13, go ahead and read that, please. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. And the verse, and the verse afterwards? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And the next verse after that. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Boom! The Word of God just dropped the mic, right? So, for those of us who are spiritual, we understand that, right, we can't give in to the id. We can't give in to the ego. What we need to give in to is the spirit. Because that is the only thing that's going to save us from this un, this persisting cycle of want and need. Want and, uh, want and desire. Desire and peace and all of these things. Uh, 
I, I get back to what James just said there, right? Is that we are drawn away by our own lusts and desires. That is the physical seeking homeostasis. I'm going to say something a little crude here, but I ask for your forgiveness in advance. Heather is looking at me, and I'm going to give it a go. I'm a little nervous to do so. All right, I'm just going to jump into it. And, and I mean, I'm not being, I'm not saying it to be crass. I'm, I'm saying it to just highlight who we are. <clears throat> a husband and a wife were in a marriage, right? Scripture says that the, the wife should render unto the, the husband due benevolence. Yes. Whatever that looks like. It could be physical, right? As husbands and wives are, you know, the, the uh, connection between their two physical bodies under the confines of marriage is, is, is good. Yes. I mean, God says that it is good. It's better to marry than to burn. So you know where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. I've danced around it. Effectively, I hope. For those of you who are past childbearing age, who are married to another, what is the purpose of this connection of two bodies if you can't have children? I mean, think about it for a second. If, you know, a man, if that is the way that we perpetuate our species by a husband and a wife, I'll use worldly terms. I won't even say husband and a wife. I'll use worldly terms. Man and a woman. Yes. Okay. Uh, spiritually, God tells us that the only way that that should happen, or the only way that is endorsed by God, is when a, not just a man and a wife, but a husband and a wife. Amen. Okay. But, so we know that how that happens. Right? So what is the point of continuing this do benevolence of that sort after you've gone beyond childbearing years. The only reason yes. is because it's pleasurable. That's, it. yes. That's, right. That's the only reason. You see what, what, uh, what, what I just highlighted, or what um, is highlighted in numerous books of biology, yeah. um, and as, as we'll get into with James, the first chapter, verse number 1 and 13, is that you're, even when it is not useful biologically, yes. you still want to do things that are pleasurable. Mm -hmm. And so, James, the first chapter in verse number 1, 13 through 15, tells us, says, don't, don't blame that on God. Mm -hmm. It's not God, it's you. And Satan using the imperfection that is you to entice you to commit sin through the lust of your flesh. Right. And you know what also he says? He says, if you do it, this is Satan saying to you, if you do it, you remember that peace that you had after you did it the last time? You... You, don't, you shouldn't go through all the pain and anguish that you're going through right now. Just do this sin and find peace in that pleasure. Mm -hmm. That's what he tells you. Mm -hmm. But what he doesn't tell you, which is what the scripture is telling us and what the really the impetus of the last two lessons, is that it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. It's not constant. It's not absolute. The pleasure and the peace that comes from um, fulfilling the desire of your flesh or pleasure is temporary. But what is permanent? Let's go back to, let's make a full circle, huh? Let's go back to Philippians, the fourth chapter. And then I will be done. I know we've gone a long time, but I did feel like I had to kind of go all the way around. Uh, Philippians, the fourth chapter. See, I'm, I'm actually singing that song in my head, Sister Bill. <laughs> I had 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, <laughs> Acts, and a letter to the Romans. Okay. So, Philippians, the fourth chapter, <clears throat> starting at verse number one. Therefore, my brethren, stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judas and beseech Sictithi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, hope, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Amen. Moderation. Paul talks about this on a number of occasions, right? That he brought his body under subjection lest himself should be a castaway. Moderation. Moderation means that you should be absolutely comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Sister Elizabeth, did you hear what I said? I'll take your response as a yes. You should let your moderation be known to all men. And what that means is you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Amen. That's what moderation means, Amen. is that even in those moments where I feel the pain and anguish of one, I feel the pain and discomfortability of wanting something, or the pleasure of the peace that comes from fulfilling that want, I'm going to stay where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Paul said that he learned in all things both to be in want and to be what? To be what? In want and what? To be filled. Right? He, 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 in, in all things, he, he maintained his, his spiritual homeostasis, even though his body was constantly in moments of balance. Imbalance, let's say. Mm -hmm. Let your moderation be known to all men. There was a period after that. Why is there a period? Because that's a statement in and of itself. And then the next sentence is also a statement in and of itself. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men, period. The next statement is, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is ever watching. He's ever seen. He's ever knowing. And thus, that's why he says in verse number six, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. You know, if you don't got stuff and you feel like, ah, oh, it's painful to not have stuff, but it would be pleasurable to have that stuff, stay where you are not having the stuff. But... In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Mm -hmm. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, the peace of God, not the peace of man or the peace of this life, but the peace of God, which is absolute, which is constant, which does not require a, a, a refilling. It will always be there, constantly, at the same measure. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall, it's required to, yes. shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's my lesson this morning. Amen. Mm -hmm. So, you've got all of it. Now, the Word of God yep. talks about spiritual life, its emphasis is on things first, but it gives us some insights. It helps us to deal with the physical. It has influence and it changes our physical, but also the physical has an influence on our spiritual. doesn't change it, not one iota, but it influences where we'll be. You know the biology, right? The biology 
those moments, just, just remind yourself, that moment where you have pleasure to eat that chocolate cake that's got like, I don't know, a thousand calories in it, and you're a diabetic, <clears throat> Brother Bill, he's pondering, that's why he's not answering. But those moments where you want that chocolate cake, it's got a thousand calories, and you know you shouldn't be eating it. The pleasure that you feel in your brain is the pleasure that's going to result from doing it. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you want it. You don't like being in moments of want. I want that cake, but I can't have it. And it makes me feel bad. There's a struggle there. I don't want to have struggle. I don't want to be uncomfortable at this moment. So I'm going to eat that cake. Because that's what I desire. It's not really the cake that you desire. It's the desire to not be uncomfortable anymore. Just remind yourself of that. You do not want exactly what you want. You just don't want to be in pain anymore. You don't want to be out of balance. You want to be back in homeostasis. Well, the scripture tells us that if we have hope of eternal salvation, if we think on things that are virtuous and praiseworthy, if we allow the Spirit of God to guide us, we can learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. In the back of your mind, you'll also be saying what Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am. This existence is not the best. It's very good, but it's not perfect. Which is the reason why we die. Which is the reason why Christ died on the cross to give us an opportunity to obtain perfection. To be in a place where there will be eternal sun, eternal day, where there is no darkness, where there is no weeping, sorry, where there is no sorrow and no crying and no pain. So if you're here this morning and uh, you need prayers um, to overcome, um, if you need prayers to be, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, first off, it's right there in the book. Um, you can read it. If Jesus Christ can do it, we can do it. Amen. Now you may say, okay, well, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Yes, you're right. But guess what? You're a Son of God too. Amen. So <laughs> that don't matter. You're a son of God just as Christ is and was, or sorry, was and is a son of God. Amen. You have the spirit, maybe not the, the measure of the spirit that he had, but you have the spirit in you. There is nothing special about Jesus Christ that he is so far beyond measure that we can't meet him. Otherwise, he would not be the propitiation for our sins. He would not be the, what, as, what does it say? The, uh, the moderator, the um, mediator. That's the right word I was looking for. The mediator between God and us. So we can get there. God, if Christ can do it, we can do it. We just got to follow the pattern. So we're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to stop talking. And the floor will be open up to anyone who needs to request a prayer. Thank you very much for your time.